I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisitions specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Today, we are talking about healthcare real estate. We're going to be talking about lease agreements and potential purchases, but definitely on the lease agreement side, which actually will help me personally and hopefully help you as well. If you are looking to have a lease renewal in the next uh, six to 12 months or the next couple of years, as well as if you are looking to expand your practice and you are searching for other leaseholds and other lease agreements out there. Today, we have Colin Carr on the show. He's the founder and CEO of Carr. You can find them online at www.carr.us. Colin, what's going on? I'm having a good day, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So, uh, one of your podcasts or, or secretary folks reached out and I saw your website. I'm like, yeah, this is a perfect fit. So tell the audience what you do. The audience is mostly practice owners and physical therapists and folks, clinicians in, in the healthcare world. It seems like you guys specialize in healthcare, but tell the audience a little bit more of what you guys do and why. Yeah, I appreciate that. So we have an extremely narrow niche and focus. We're, we're only in the healthcare space. So we're not running around doing restaurants and auto repair shops and CPA firms. We're, we're strictly in the healthcare space and we only represent healthcare providers as a tenant or buyer. So if you're a therapist, if you're a physician, if you're a veterinarian, an optometrist, we help you with your real estate. So you want to start a practice, you want to buy a practice, you're going to get real estate coming with it or have to renegotiate it. If you want to renegotiate your lease, if you want to buy a, a condo, a townhome, a building for your practice, anything with real estate for your practice, we help with. And we've been doing this for almost 15 years. We're coast to coast. I think right now we have almost 4,500 clients that we're performing work for. And again, from Alaska to Hawaii, California, all the way to the East Coast. And anything with real estate for your practice, we focus on. Awesome. So... For practice owners out there, and I have a lot of friends and colleagues that have already either gone from like a gym location and they they move out of the gym, they outgrow that. And then it's like they have to go find their first practice and they might sublet a room somewhere. But at some point, they want to grow and hire a team and, and expand. And so they'll typically do what? Like I, I haven't really talked to a lot of my friends that specifically about them finding a lease agreement and finding an office. But what do they do? They, they find like a generalist, typically, they'll, they'll find like a generalist real estate broker and kind of like maybe knock on some doors and call some people and ask word of mouth like, hey, like I'm looking for an office. I'm looking for maybe X amount of square footage. Do you know what's available? And they then tour around different locations. Like what is the typical approach that most practice owners would usually do? Or there's there's the typical approach, which is usually not what I would recommend and others like that. Right, right, right. I know. So what a lot of people will do is they'll just start driving around. They'll see a property. They'll call on the sign. They'll start asking the listing broker or landlord for information. They might have other properties in the area. They send them a couple listings. And then they might start relying upon that person to give them advice or to give them information. The problem with that is the person they're talking to has a legal obligation. They have a fiduciary obligation to help their client, the landlord or the seller, maximize their profitability in any transaction. They can't give you any advice that's actually going to put you in a place to win or give you an advantage in the transaction. 
So that's how most people do it. They look online, they call properties, and they just kind of start, you know, just kind of moving through the process or fumbling through the process. And then eventually they find a property that would work. They get an offer, they try to negotiate it a little bit, and then eventually they sign a lease agreement. And, you know, that's fine as far as the goal of getting a location and getting a lease agreement and an opening for business. The problem with that is that most healthcare providers are, are losing $100,000, $300,000 conservatively in that process. And when people hear that number, they think, well, you know, is there really that much on the line? And the answer is absolutely. You know, if you're overpaying by even a, a dollar, two or three dollars per square foot on your lease rate, which is very easy to do, if your annual increases are you know, an extra point or point and a half higher than they should be, if you don't capture the right amount of build-out allowance or renovation allowance that most landlords would invest into the space and give you in exchange for a longer-term lease, like a five, seven, or 10-year lease, if you don't get the right amount of free rent once you open the doors to start seeing patients, all of those negotiable deal points add up, and it's very easy to lose a significant amount of money. I mean, if you rent a 2,500-square-foot space, which would be a very standard-sized healthcare space, and you're overpaying by $3 a square foot... That's $7,500 per year that you shouldn't have been paying if you were properly represented and had a real strategy. So take that time, seven years or 10 years, and you start to get a larger amount of money. And again, there's a lot of areas where you can either lose or capture money if you know what you're doing or if you don't know what you're doing. Right. And one of the things you mentioned in the pre-interview is that you and I have both spoken to a lot of practice owners and colleagues that have gone out there and done this themselves. And they might waste or spend 20 or 30 hours either like over the course of the time of looking for a lease agreement and then you know doing extra site visits and spending extra time on documents and, and all that, whatever it might be, which then costs thousands or tens of thousands in terms of how much that time is actually worth. And that's not even including the areas where they would they don't know maybe where to push and pull with negotiations and concessions and all that. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we talk about really four areas that we're focused on moving the needle for the clients that we work with. Number one, we want to save them a significant amount of money. We want the most competitive terms. We want the highest level of concessions. We want to make sure that the client is getting the best of what's available. They've seen the best properties. They've checked. They've chosen the best property to move forward with, and they're achieving the best terms possible. So financial savings, huge. Second one is time, as you just mentioned. The average commercial transaction takes again, minimum 20 to 30 hours to do if it's done properly. Some of our deals take 40, 50 hours or more. But if you're doing your own real estate and you just lost 20, 30 hours of your time, you could have invested that in your practice, seeing patients, you know, educating your training, your staff. It's a lot more profitable return on your time. It's the same reason that people don't do things they can pay people to do at a much faster and cheaper rate compared to their cost per service per hour. So time savings huge. The next one is... There's a lot of pitfalls and complications that you can encounter in a commercial real estate transaction. Most commercial leases you're going to see are going to be like 60 to 80 page lease agreements. And if you don't know what you're doing, you can, you can miss very obvious negotiable business deal points or things that make themselves or make their way into a lease. And you can avoid those concepts. You can avoid delays. You can avoid complications. That's a big area. A lot of people call us on a weekly basis. And they want us to fix the mistake they made. And it's sometimes very hard to do because you're in a legal binding document that's in place for the next 7 or 10 years. And so you can avoid a lot of those issues if it's done properly. And then the fourth area is just peace of mind. I mean, you don't want to sign a 5, 7, or 10-year lease. And then every night you go to bed, put your head in your pillow, wonder, 
Should you have looked at other properties? Should you have looked at options to purchase versus just leasing? Should you have looked at office space and retail versus just choosing one because it popped up first or because someone told you about it? You know, Could you have done a better job with the opportunity? You want that peace of mind. It's very, very valuable. And so again, you get one crack at this thing every five, seven, or 10 years if you have an office space. Or if you purchase, it might be one shot every 20, 30 years. You don't want to wonder, did I mess up? You want to do it the best way possible. It's like, again, nobody's going to rush into a surgery and just say, cut me open, and then we'll figure out if there's other options later on. It's You want to get everything figured out ahead of time. What are my options? What's the best procedure, the best game plan? What's the recovery look like? You get all that information, then you make an informed decision, and you make it with the peace of mind that I'm not missing something. It's the same thing for real estate. A lot of healthcare providers just find a property, talk to a listing broker, fumble through a deal. They'll go back and forth a couple of times, make them feel like they actually negotiated, which is kind of funny. A lot of landlords are playing tenants like a like a dad plays a four-year-old. You know, The four-year-old and the dad are wrestling and the four-year-old somehow magically pins the dad and goes and tells mom wrestling. <laughs> like a lot of landlords are doing the same thing with doctors. Like, oh man, I've never done this before. Man, you're really good at negotiating. Oof, man, that's going to be really hard for me to get that done for you. And the, and the, it's funny, the doctors buy it off and this stuff all the time. So because they're not experienced in it, this is not their area of expertise, uh, negotiating and dealing with this dynamic. Yeah, I mean, most people's form of negotiation is no matter what price is offered, they, they turn around and say, well, would you go lower? No matter what concession is offered, they say, well, would you go higher? That's not negotiating with strategy. That's just bartering or begging. You know, a real negotiation happens when you've got other viable options on the table. You know, if you're talking to your current landlord and you're paying, let's say, $45 a square foot, what's your basis to ask them to come down to 41? Is it because you want them to do 41 or is it because you've got three other viable options in the trade area that are all at 40 or 41 and they're nicer properties or maybe they're going to offer you enough free rent to offset all your moving costs and pay for a big portion of your build out. And they're going to charge you 40 or 41. Now you've got something to anchor to in the negotiation. It's not it's not emotional. It's not bartering. It's not begging. Like You're actually having a real strategy for what you will or you won't do. And that's when you get into a real negotiation. And sorry for being long-winded here, but this is how the top retailers and office tenants work. Like Starbucks doesn't just show up on a quarter and say, what's the best you can do for me? They tell the landlord what they're willing to do. You know, Chipotle does the same thing. You know, it, it, Charles Schwab or, or, or Chase or Lockheed Martin, they don't just, you know, guess their way through deals. Like it's all factual. They know how many options they have. They know what it would cost to go into each property. They negotiate with multiple landlords simultaneously. And when they make that decision, they're not wondering, did we leave money on the table? Did we do the best we can with what we have? Like they know unequivocally that's the best property, that's the right terms. And if they're going to pay more for a property, it's for a reason. It's a better location. We like the neighboring tenants. The landlord's got a better property management firm than this landlord who's just doing it themselves. Like we'll pay more, but it's got to be justified. So that's how savvy tenants handle real estate and then unsavvy or, or, Ignorant tenants just kind of just fumble through it and, and, and they get a deal done. That's not the like the ribbon that you want to cross in the race. Like you want to get the deal done with the best terms possible while saving time, while avoiding costly pitfalls, and then having peace of mind. Right. And so you guys have like 150 agents across the country, you said, in pretty much every state. We do. We do. Yeah. There's a couple of markets where, you know, we might service a, a city or a state from another adjoining state or certain, you know, if somebody, you know, we have agents that are like, let's say in 
multiple cities in Ohio, Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati. If you're in rural in Toledo and other areas, but if you're in rural, like let's say Southeast Ohio on the border of West Virginia, like one of our agents would come service that from a neighboring city. But yeah, we're basically coast to coast and we can help with almost any transaction. And uh, so let's say a practice owner connects to you, one of your agents. It seems like from what you're describing so far, with your network, with your, you guys have strategies, you probably have a playbook on like, here's what like the going rate is for square footage. And like, here's in general, like here's like the going rate or the market rate in all these different metros, obviously New York city and other places is more expensive and other rural areas. It's, it's less. So there's a little, like the value proposition of what you guys offer. It's like you have experienced agents that specialize just in healthcare first, you only service the practice owners. So the, the buyers or renters, Never the landlord, correct? Correct. People get into conflicts of interest all the time. You know, they'll call a listing broker and they'll say, Well, we don't have space here, but I'll help you in other properties. Yet, if they have any properties in the area you're looking in, they have a conflict of interest at that point because they're representing an opposing party. It's kind of like the idea of somebody sues you and you go, you know, before a judge or you go to a hearing, you're not going to ask the attorney who's suing you if they'll give you help as well. Like you got to have your own representation. So a lot of agents end up working with people that have a conflict. They don't even know it. And they don't disclose this conflict? Unfortunately, they do not. So um, uh-huh. a lot of people, the number one thing that commercial real estate or residential agents get slapped for is failing to disclose who they work for. It's the number one violation of real estate. So you know, every profession has it. Therapists have it, doctors have it, people make mistakes, et cetera. But the number one thing that happens with real estate is they don't disclose who they truly work for and what their true intention is. And so that's why it's really important. A no conflicts of interest approach is mandatory if you're going to capture the best terms possible. So what would be a a quick win or, or a tip to practice owners listening right now? If they are interfacing with a real estate broker of any kind, can you just, you know, whether an email, maybe you need to document it or in person or on the phone, like, Asking that broker specifically, do you have any conflicts of interest or do you have an affiliation or do you work for this particular owner of real estate, this particular landlord? Like, What would be a way to flesh that out? Yeah. So you could ask them, do you represent any landlords or sellers in the immediate market or target area that we're looking or does your firm? And so that question right there, they say, no, I don't have any listings near my firm. Like, That's a great first step. Because that means that hopefully they're not going to have, hopefully they told you the truth and they're not going to have a conflict here. It doesn't fully solve the issue though, because here's why every commercial real estate broker that does a lot of landlord work or seller works always looking for the next listing. And so when they go into a negotiation, it's very common for a listing or for an agent to use a tenant or buyer deal to get in touch with the landlord to develop a relationship with them. And then once that's, that deal's done, they'll take that list, that landlord to lunch and ask if they can list their property the next week. So a lot of landlord brokers will use a tenant or buyer deal kind of to fish for an interaction with a new landlord. And so again, not everyone does that, but most of them do. And so, you know, again, no conflicts of interest means that you have no listings in the area that we're looking. And then the higher level of no conflicts is that you don't even do landlord or seller reps. So that I, don't, I don't have to wonder, are you going to go soft on the landlord and try to use my deal to develop a relationship with that landlord and then take that landlord to lunch the week our deal's done and ask them if you can list their property? Like we don't list property. So we're not going soft on a landlord, hoping the landlord likes us when a deal's done. We're not being disrespectful. We're not, you know, we're not being arrogant. We're not being egregious in our negotiations, but I don't care if the landlord you know, is pleased with 
with me in the negotiation. I care that my client gets the best terms possible. And you'll find a lot of brokers that are trying to you know, pander towards landlords because they want the landlord to like them because they want that landlord to hire them. And that happens all the time. And I know that because I used to be a landlord broker. And when I would do tenant deals, it's very common to have landlords call and say, you know, you did a great job in this deal. Would you list my property? And I got that question literally dozens of times. We still get that question, but the answer today is no, we don't do landlord rep. So very interesting. Anyone that's watching or listening, I want I want uh, my friends and buddies and colleagues to reach out to me if you've had any uh, healthcare broker issues. Because I, like I said, I've been we've been mobile concierge sending our therapist to patients, so I haven't had to interact a lot with the whole lease agreement and and brokers and landlords. So I didn't realize that you have to kind of flesh out or figure out if there's a conflict of interest or not. I definitely even more so now. I mean, I, I fully understood it when I looked at your website. But like now it's like I totally get it. I don't understand. So why would a practice owner not work with you guys? It sounds like I haven't come across a lot of these specialists only where you only are representing the the renter buyer and not the landlord. So is what you do more common now or are you guys is it very commonplace or is there small amount of firms like you who are specialized in helping the practice owner only and making sure that there's no conflicts of interest? Yeah, it's pretty rare to do what we do. When you get into commercial real estate, you will find there are specialists in almost every area. For instance, like there are real estate brokers that only work with self storage units, buying and selling self storage. As a random example, there's brokers that only work on like biotech lab space. There's brokers that only work, you know, with call centers. And so, you know, most people would do it themselves or hire a generalist if they didn't know about a company like us or know that companies like us exist. So there's not very many of them out there. We're the only national company. There are some smaller firms that operate in a city or a region, that kind of thing. But most time, it's just because they don't know who to call. And it's kind of like the idea of someone saying, well, why wouldn't you have gone to see the specialist? Like, I didn't know they existed. I just figured I had to figure it out myself or deal with it myself. And you know, it's, I, I'm assuming, honestly, David, it's kind of like you. I mean, you talked about how you guys have a concierge in a, in a mobile therapy practice, people like, I didn't even know it was available. I thought I had to yep. log my way down this, you know, this thoroughfare and, and that's hard for me or I don't have transportation or it's hard for me to do this or that. And so they find out about it. Man, I didn't even know it was available. That's how most of the people that we talk to respond. And once they realize that there is a service that specializes in healthcare without conflicts of interest and is aimed at helping them to maximize their profitability, it's a pretty easy conversation at that point. Yeah. Awesome. So just to recap, so you guys have agents all over. You have obviously some internal strategies and playbooks on how to help the practice owners. And then almost it kind of sounds like, and you can correct me if, if I'm wrong, but it almost sounds like a little bit of negotiation as a service kind of packaged into your offering. Would you Do you kind of describe it that way? Like the practice owners are not specialized in this. They do this what? Once every... Depends on the lease, right? They do this once every... Three years or five or seven or 10 years, it depends on how many new offices that they're opening up and maybe they just stay with one, whatever. So it's, it's, it's an activity for a practice owner that they're not doing that often. So therefore, they cannot really be experienced or specialized in it. Do you kind of look at what you guys do as like some of it is negotiation as a service in a way? Yeah, that's honestly where I believe we move the needle the most. You know, again, anybody can call on a building. Anybody can get on through a database online or you know, email someone, say, send me a brochure. Anybody can say, send me a proposal and then ask, would you go lower on the lease rate or higher concessions? And then they can say, send me a lease agreement and sign. I mean, that, that's not a hard skill set. 
the skill set is understanding the market, coming up with viable other options, negotiating with multiple landlords or sellers simultaneously, and then you know pitting one landlord against the other, and then using fast to negotiate versus just asking or begging for things. So really, I would say that the number one thing that we do is move the needle with, is with negotiation. And that's where we focus as far as how can we deliver the highest level of results to the client. Got it. Also, in the pre-interview, you mentioned the difference between a competitive lease agreement versus a good lease agreement. And then you went through a whole list. I was trying to take some notes, but you were talking really fast. But you were saying things like uh, free rent and build-outs and annual increases and rent allowances. And practice owners will you know, take cash out away from the practice to do the build-out. So can we kind of flesh out some of those components that when you're talking about like what's the difference between a competitive lease agreement versus just a good lease agreement? Absolutely. So let's talk about the economic you know, deal points first. And we'll talk about some of the business deal points secondary because you will pay more attention to like the the check you cut up front or or the money that you do or don't receive from the landlord for a build out. But there's a couple other ones too that are pretty impactful later down the road, especially when you're ready to sell your practice or transition out. So concepts like what's the lease rate? Again, landlords are going to state an, an asking rent. It might not be substantiated. Like they might say, hey, I want $40 a square foot or, or 30 or 80, depending on the market you're in. And you have to say, compared to what? Like, what are the other landlords in the area charging for comparable or similar space? That's that's a huge one right there. What type of vacancy does the landlord have in the property? And it might not only be what do they have currently, it's what's coming available. Can you figure out if there's leases about to roll and they're about to experience more vacancy? Because they might be holding firm like on a negotiation. But if you know a large anchor tenant's about to leave or other tenants are on month-to-month leases or could leave, that gives you leverage. And that's not usually readily available information. If you just call the listing agent, they're not going to tell you that. But you can find that information out by talking to other tenants or doing your due diligence. Concepts like annual increases. The vast majority of leases have an annual increase built into them. 2%, 3%, 4%, or a dollar per square foot or some, you know, some percentage or some price per square foot where it's going to bump up every year. Again, those increases compound significantly. The difference between a 2% increase versus a 4% increase on a high, a high lease rate over 10 years with nine increases, that's a lot of money. That's tens of thousands of dollars easily. Concepts like you should never be paying for a space during the build-out period. Some jurisdictions, you can get the space built out in four or five months. Some jurisdictions, you cannot get plans done and get through a building department and get a permit to allow you to swing hammers and erect the space and finish it off. You can't do that in less than eight or 10 months. Like That free rent period is extremely important during the build-out. It's also very common to get free rent once you finish the build-out and you open the space and want to start seeing patients. That's a whole other realm of free rent that's very important. You know, if you get no free rent versus three months of free rent, I mean, that could be twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars like that. So that's an important one. And then you get into concepts like the build-out allowance. This is a difference between commercial and residential real estate. Residential real estate, you sign a new lease, maybe they'll give you like new carpet or paint. But in commercial real estate, you sign a longer-term lease, a five, seven, or ten-year lease. It's very common to get the landlord to contribute a pretty healthy amount of money towards the build-out and renovation of that space. And again, that could be $20 a square foot. It could be 80 a square foot. It could be 100 a square foot, depending on the leash rate, depending on the length of the deal. Well, if you're talking about, let's say, even a $50 per square foot build-out allowance on 3,000 square feet, that's $150,000 the landlord would be willing to contribute towards the deal to get the space renovated in exchange for a long-term lease. If you have to bring that money to the table or borrow an additional $150,000 and then pay a 
7% interest rate over the next 10 years, you know, you just lost the 150 plus the 30 to 80,000 in interest, depending on how long that term goes. So that's a big one. And so there's a number of economic negotiable deal points that are there. But then you get into business deal points like, do you want to be the only, you know, the only blank in the building? Do you want an exclusive uh, clause in there? Or do you want your competitor to be able to post up in the space across the hall or right next door to you? Do you want to be able to sublease or assign your space? And if so, do you want to be able to get off that lease when you go to sell your practice? It's very important not only to have a, an assignability clause, but you've got to have the right language. People get caught in this trap all the time. They have an assignability clause, but it doesn't state that the landlord will release them from the lease agreement. And so they go to sell their practice. They've got five years left in their lease. Landlord says, sure, no problem selling the practice, but you're going to stay on as a personal guarantee for the next five years. And that's the equivalent of like selling your house and guaranteeing the mortgage for the house you don't own anymore. Like that's a bad place to be. So there's all these other business deal points that are negotiable. You know, what's a holdover provision? Who maintains the HVAC? If it's HVAC and it gets, you know, gets uh, functionally obsolete or goes out, who's paying to replace it? Who's paying to repair it? Who covers utilities? Who covers janitorial? How much can the landlord charge you for property management fees? You know, can they charge you based upon your proportionate share? of the building's operating expenses or can they gross it up and charge you based upon if the building was fully leased, even though it's not like there's all these random things that get thrown into these lease agreements. And so you've got the main economic ones that are pretty obvious, Then you got the business deal points that are still pretty obvious, but you may or may not know they're there, how to negotiate them. And then you got all these like little hidden ideas that landlords are notorious for like stuffing under the pillow and you don't even know it's there. And they'll try to get as much as they possibly can. I always give this analogy, like understand that there is an actual, you know, negotiation happening here. Both people want to close a deal or get a deal done or consummated, but the means by which it happens is very different. Like I joke, it's like, you know, you might have two people that both want to box each other, but one person wants to win. Like the landlord wants to win. Like they're not going to go in there and just pretend like it's a, I mean, they're going to go in there and try to knock you out. And the way they knock you out is to capture as much of that negotiable money as possible and if they can make an extra 100, 200, 300 grand on a deal, better believe that they're going to do it. They're going to do it all day long. And they want to keep as much of that money as possible. And they will take you, they'll take you to the cleaners if they can. Yeah. Well, um, my head's almost spinning with all the different scenarios. And then it's almost like the different levers in this whole dynamic, right? There are all these different like financial levers or areas where it certainly can add up. Like you said, if uh, whether it's how many days or months of free rent and what's allowed for build out and all the other, I mean, it's really not, it's not just the rental agreement, like how much is the rent per month? And then like, how much is it increasing each year? But it's the other terms in there. It's not just maybe practice owners focus more on like, how much is my rent going to be? And like, how much does it increase over the seven or 10 or whatever years of the lease agreement? Those are kind of like the, you know, up in light, like bright and lights, like the big components of the agreement. But then there's the other terms that it sounds like that's where you guys will also kind of shine that those areas will sometimes be overlooked by practice owners if they don't have someone in their corner like you guys. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's one of those things where, you know, you don't have to be an expert in all these areas, but you need someone who can help interpret it for you. Like, again, I like to get analogies. Hopefully they work and they're not too cheesy, but I got an MRI on my shoulder last week. I sat down with a doctor yesterday. I can kind of read the MRI's report. Like it, it somewhat makes sense to me, but I'm like, I'm Googling words like, what the heck does that mean? And, you know, again, 
it, it really helps. I don't have to interpret it myself. I can hire someone who interprets it for me. And they says, Colin, you're actually good to go. Like, there's nothing torn. It's just strained, blah, blah, blah. Here's the game plan. Here's what I recommend. There's three or four options for you. And they walk you through it. And it becomes it becomes a very a complicated process becomes simplified. I'm still in full control. Like He's not telling me what I'm going to do. He's telling me what he recommends I do. But I'm the one who says, let's do this. and Let's move forward with this one. But I had someone to advise me and guide me in the entire process. And so that's the same thing that should happen in a good real estate transaction. No one's choosing the property for you. No one's forcing you to sign a lease or to take terms that you may or may not like. They're just advising you and they're they're commenting on the process as it's happening and telling you what you need to do next or how you need to handle it. Yeah. Real quick on your shoulder. Have you seen a physical therapist? Uh, not yet, but that will be part of the process moving forward. So, yeah. Yeah. And we were joking in the pre-interview. You said, you know, if, you know, let's say you got a shoulder inner injury, uh, shoulder pain, you know, you could just go on YouTube and like look up shoulder physical therapy exercises and try some of that type of stuff on your own. And it might get a little bit better. It might get worse. It might remain the same for the next six months. Right. So that was kind of like the analogy of like practice owners can just go and, you know, find a, a lease agreement on their own and like it might work out for them or they might get taken advantage of and they might find something that works for them. And then they might also pay extra money that they otherwise didn't know that they could save if they had, you know, you guys helping to kind of negotiate all these price and terms on their behalf. That's exactly right. And so I'm talking to a friend of mine. He goes, man, he goes, those symptoms sound just like me. I tore my rotator cuff. Then I have another buddy saying, oh man, I dislocated my shoulder. And then my mom's saying, well, I had some tears in the muscle. And it's like, Everyone's like, yeah, it hurt in the same place. It was the same symptoms. And so I'm going, I'm guessing here, you know, do I need to go to the orthopedic surgeon tomorrow? Instead, I went and got an MRI and he said, no, man, you just jolted it. You got a loose ligament or tendon and we need to get that thing. We need to strengthen the muscles around there and get it tightened back up again. But it would have been a really bad decision for you to go under the knife right now. And two years from now, if nothing else works, then that'll be an option for you. But that's not the game plan I'd recommend. And so now I know it's not a torn rotator cuff. It's It's not dislocated. It wasn't... I mean, all these things that are there, it just gives you peace of mind. And and so it doesn't guarantee that I'm going to get the perfect outcome tomorrow, but we start down a path of what makes the most out information. It's the same thing for me. Right, right. And you had previously mentioned uh, you helped the practice in Chicago fertility practice save millions in, in their situation. And on average, depending on the size of the lease renewal, I think you said you could help save practices tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of dollars in concessions. So how do you guys price this out? Obviously, in terms of like working with you guys and, and pricing, they're going to have to, you know, the audience is going to have to reach out to you directly. But like, how do you price out your services? Is there some things like flat rate upfront plus like a percentage of saved and concessions? Like, how do you price out what you guys do? Yeah, that's honestly one of the best questions you can ask us. We don't charge our clients anything and we don't cost our clients money as well. So commercial real estate commissions are paid by the landlord or seller, just like they are in residential real estate. It's a percentage of the deal, and it comes out of the landlord's or the seller's proceeds. So if you've ever bought or sold a house, if you bought a house, you didn't pay your agent, they took half the commission from the seller's agent, the listing agent. If you've ever leased a space, it's the same thing. So if you're a tenant or buyer, and you go to market and you hire an agent to help represent you, they're going to take half the commission from the listing agent. It's very simple. And there's a, this idea with real estate. It's like, well, if I don't use an agent, then I'll just save that money. You're not the one paying the commission. Like, There's nothing for you to save. The listing agent just keeps that money, gets a double commission, or the landlord will just keep that money. And so uh, it doesn't cost a health provider anything to hire a real estate agent. In the vast majority of markets, there might be one exception in the country that I'm aware of. 
Uh, and it's not too far from where you live. It's one of the one of the five boroughs is a little backwards, but 99.9% of the markets out there, the landlord pays the commissions to their agent and the tenant's agent. And it's basically a free service to the, the tenant or buyer. Interesting. Very cool. And that's how your model has always been? It's always been the way. Yeah. Yep. So we don't charge our clients anything. And if they don't transact, then there's no commissions to be paid. And if they do, we get we get our portion from the landlord. And it's just a cost of doing business. I mean, again, if you've sold a house, it's the same thing. Like you pay a commission to your agent and the buyer's agent, and it's just the industry standard. And it's really, it's really great the way it works. Again, I'll give you another analogy. If you have dental insurance, you have a certain amount of money you can use per year. And if you don't use it, the insurance company doesn't send you a discount check for not going to the dentist. And they don't send the dentist a check for you not going in there to see it. The insurance company just keeps that money. So if you have dental insurance and you haven't used your your allowance, you'll be getting a phone call from your dentist if they're paying attention, like in October saying, Hey, Dave, you got $800. Get in here and let us get some pictures. Let us get you some whitening trays. If you need a filling, let's get it done now because we can do it for no cost to you. And if you don't do it, you lose the money. Same thing commercial real estate. You go and do a a do-it-yourself deal or you do it by yourself trying to save money. Landlord keeps that money from you and and laughs all the way to the bank, typically. Got it. Wow. Uh, Very well put. Uh, Colin, what's a good place for the audience to reach out to either you if they want to connect with you directly? I know on the website, car.us, C-A-R-R.us on the web. But if they want to reach out to you, whether it's email address or LinkedIn or just a form on the website, what's a good place for someone in the audience to connect with you and your company further? Yeah, that's the best way to do it. If, if you go to our website, car.us, you click to find an agent anywhere in the country and go directly to them. If you want to get a hold of me, we have a contact us form. Just fill out the form and just say, I'd like to speak with Colin. And then you know, tell me what's going on or, or just give me a little bit of information. And then we'll reach out to you right away. Awesome. Anything else before we wrap up? I would say whether it's real estate, whether it's legal with an attorney, whether it's architecture, whether it's credentialing, I mean, hire people that are qualified to do the job at the highest level that can do it the fastest, most efficient and give you the best results. It's not rocket science when it comes to real estate, but there is a strategy. So, you know, the the do it yourself approach, if if you want to move yourself with a U-Haul truck, that's great. Like do what you do. When it comes to stuff, as far as like looking at a legal document or having an insurance policy or doing a real estate deal, hire the person who's the most qualified and they will make you more successful. They'll make you more profitable and they'll they'll protect you from the pitfalls and complications that you shouldn't have to you know wade through if it was done properly. Awesome. To the audience, if you find this helpful and valuable, go ahead and subscribe to The Dave Kittle Show on YouTube. Also, you can check it out on iTunes or Spotify. Colin, thanks a lot. That was great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com or You can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.